but I'm never, ever going to go out there and just badmouth every police officer. If somebody wants my opinion on something, I'm going to tell them what I think. My heart got softer and it made me realize how and, and feel more uh, for people. There's obvious hardships. If you're a restaurant owner, for example, this is, this is different than if you're a tech worker, you know, working at home. So it, it impacts people differently. That's Frank Kittens, Jim Fuda, and Stuart Elway. Welcome to this edition to Voices of Experience. My name is Paul Casey, your host and producer. This is the second of a two-part series with Frank Gittens, whose son was killed in a King County police sting operation that turned tragic. Frank's son, Chance, was killed, the victim of mistaken identity. Last week, Frank provided the details of that awful night, and Jim Fuda, former King County police officer and hostage negotiator, was with us then, and he will return this week as well. Also today, and very timely, what are the voters' attitudes in Washington state towards police reform? The latest cross-cut Elway poll was just released, and Stuart Elway will reveal what voters say on that subject and about COVID-19 and the governor's race. Back with Frank Gittens and Jim Fuda in just a moment. You're listening to Voices of Experience with Paul Casey. Visit VoicesOfExperience.com and take a five-minute self-employment quiz. That's VoicesOfExperience.com. The higher you score on the quiz, the higher your prospects for success. One more time, visit VoicesOfExperience.com. All one word. Frank Gittens received a terrible phone call. His son, Chance, had been injured. He was being transported to Harborview Medical Center. Chance died that night from eight gunshot wounds. The reason? A sting operation conducted by the King County Sheriff's Department had gone terribly wrong. Frank received a financial settlement and an apology from the King County Sheriff's Department for their negligence. Joining Frank today is retired King County police officer and hostage negotiator Jim Fuda. Jim is the current director of Crime Stoppers of Puget Sound. Recently, Jim has been providing insights to local media outlets regarding the latest uprisings in Seattle. Now, Frank grew up in Brooklyn, and my first question to him was, what was the relationship like between the citizens and the police in Brooklyn prior to him moving out west? Frank, uh, you were talking about something when we were visiting earlier, and that had to do, you're growing up in Brooklyn. You had a good relationship with the police. Yeah, obviously, a police's job really can't do his job without the people. Officers don't really know what the hell's going on unless somebody tells them. Right. <laughs> unless they get called, unless they get called to the scene, something tragic going on. That's the only thing they know. They don't know anything before it happens. You want to pre-investigate before you investigate in my community, not to walk around and talk to everyone because everybody was so intermingled. Every store was diverse. You'd have a Jamaican business, a, a Haitian business, a Jewish business, a black business. And you walk down the street. It was a mixed bag of everyone. There was no way, nowhere to hide. Get out there, talk to people, get to know people, understand people, and they understand you. You know their names. You know their, by their last name. And that's what they would do. They would walk the beat. They, they knew the people. And even if an officer, they said, hey, Frank did this, that officer would say, 
And it doesn't sound like, Frank, I've had conversations with that guy, but let me check it out. We got to get back into community centers and visit with these kids from a young age. These cops that are 25, 26, 27 on the force, they have an opportunity to make a difference 10 years from now when they're 37 and they're 42. It's never going to be perfect, but it's an opportunity for them to watch these kids grow, get involved with these parents, because sometimes our parents are our worst enemies. If they have a bad taste in their mouth, we're going to have a bad taste in our mouth. You can't always put the way you feel on your kids. You have to allow your kids to be able to have their own ideas and their own ideologies. Me as an adult, this has happened to my son. It's it's a tragedy. But I'm never, ever going to go out there and just badmouth every police officer. If somebody wants my opinion on something, I'm going to tell them what I think. I'm going to tell them what I think are the percentages of the people that are like that or not like that. But I think if we empower that 85% or that 90% to communicate, to talk, and to weed out that 10% and know that we're behind them, know that the sheriff's behind them or the chief's behind them, and that they're just not going to be out on the limb all by themselves. Thanks for that, Frank. I think you're really driving at something very important, and that is community policing. Jim, your thoughts. Shortly before I retired, I was working off-duty at uh, Safeville Field. I had a guy, in his, he was in his late 30s now. He walked up to me, shook my hand, and said, you bought Kool-Aid from me at my Kool-Aid stand when I was seven. When you make a child your friend, they're your friend for life. Apparently made a good impression when I worked a day shift. I'd go drink the warm Kool-Aid and shoot the bull with these kids and, you know, make sure they were all good and wave to the moms in the window and, you know, that kind of thing, which, of course, at the time meant nothing to me. But the impression you give to kids that, that you don't have to be afraid of a policeman. Maya Angelou said that it's not what you say, it's how you make people feel. Exactly. And I think that's exactly what you were saying there, Jim. Yeah, Jim brought up a good point. It's just the, the seeds that you plant as you're you know, not knowing that you're planting them and the kind of people that you are, just good things happen. And, and sometimes in life you do something now, but you don't reap the benefits for it 10, 15 years. That's why you never look for, for anything. You just try to do and be who you are. And, and one day, karma and everything all comes back to you. And So, Frank, do you think things are better in being a black man in this area? Is it getting better? I think we still we still have a long ways to go. I mean, I think it's getting personally thought it was getting better. But, I mean, over the last four or five years, I think things has gone along the wayside. I think that the people that as a majority that we kept repressed hasn't had an opportunity in the last four or five years to come out and really make an impact on our communities and, and us as people. And I think the, the minority in some cases are more powerful than the majority because the majority sits back and really doesn't do anything about it. They just let the minority run rampant. I think maybe what you're driving at, and tell me if I'm wrong here, is that indifference is a bigger poison sometimes and actually, let's say, out-and-out racism because you can deal with that. And some of my African-American friends have told me that over the years, that living in this area is actually difficult, more difficult than the South. I don't know if that's true now. I go back a ways because you knew where the lines were, you were comfortable in it. But there's a kind of a Seattle way of indifference or in this area where we say we care, but we really don't. And sometimes that makes it harder. Is there any truth to that? 
Yeah, you know, like the biggest thing in our community that was ever thought was the thing that killed us the most is people saying, being real. You know what I mean? Be real. You know, when people say that, the meaning that you can be any way you want to be, you can be, you can be yourself. And yeah, it's okay to, to be yourself, but sometimes yourself isn't good. <laughs> you know what I mean? Sometimes you need to massage yourself. You need to make yourself better every day. You just can't walk around life from 15 years old to 60 and just being yourself. You have to be able to to create some type of diversity and some type of, of like I said, savviness to to not only be real, you can be yourself, but you also have to be a chameleon as well to be able to communicate with all different walks of life and be able to get what you want. And once you get what you want, you can be as real as you want to be. Jim? Yeah, I was just going to add, is, is it, I agree with, with Frank to the point where do what you have to do, but it's, and, and as long as it doesn't hurt somebody, whether it be physically or, 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 or you subvert somebody or that kind of thing, you do it, you, you, you do it with, with, the, with an honest heart. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Personal question to you would be, Jim, a two-pronged question. One, why did you want to be a policeman? And secondly, I've heard too many times, well, you know, there's just a few bad apples there. The real, most of the police are good. I believe that. Why can't you get rid of the few bad apples? Like this uh, cop in Minneapolis, he was written up 18 times. Why would you want to have someone out like that in the street? It puts your life in danger, I think, as a policeman. It's the hiring process, testing process needs to be more in-depth. Plus, I think the unions, guilds, granted, an officer deserves due process, but he, does he deserve due process 18 times? I think there's a point that action needs to be taken if there it definitely is a pattern uh, of whether he's abusing the public or uh, heavy-handed or whatever, but he should not be, and if it's not a fireable offense at that point, he shouldn't be dealing with the public. You could put him in another role. I was involved with one guy who's firing twice that had issues, uh, should not have been been on the department. I, I, I was a corporal MPO at the time where I wrote my paperwork and said, this is what I saw. He should not be here. And then he, after two years, he gets to come back because it became an alcohol problem. And he couldn't even get through his probation. He was working for me. I was a sergeant then. And he was following dancers from the, from the uh, club's home, even out of the precinct area, scaring them to death. He should not have been a policeman. We were able to, uh, he was fired again. From my point of view, if I'm written up 18 times at a job that I have, I wouldn't be there. I mean, exactly. the company would say, you're out of here. Exactly. But wonder what it does to the image and how it harms you. And it puts you in a bad circumstance because you're a good cop. And I would just think as being in your position, you'd want these people out of there more than me. I had a, a sergeant when I was a, a young patrolman that, uh, uh, an officer come in and says, yeah, I said I called him a bad name and he's going to call and complain. The guy would call and then the sergeant would yell at the citizen, well, my officer's right, thinks he's protecting him. Well, the bottom line is, is you go, well, thanks a lot, Sarge. Now we all get to write. You know, it makes us all look bad. So it makes it look like we're like it, it is a protected boys club. That's not the impression that the public needs to see. If you're in a position of trust, like a teacher, like a priest, and you abuse that, you deserve more 
uh, penalties than the average citizen because I am in a position of public trust and, and I shouldn't allow myself to be in that position. Well said. That's, I think, uh, what you just really put it into perspective and you nailed it when you said it's a position of trust. We have to trust the police. What you said, I think, is so true. It's a, a big trust when you give someone a gun and it's something that I wouldn't want to do because, and, but I'm glad there are people who do. Frank, yeah, is there yeah. anything that you would like to share some thoughts? Officers, especially ones that's doing this a long time, they've, they've seen a lot of things, they've done a lot of things. And sometimes it's just like a movie script, man. You know, you just keep going over the, the worst moment you've ever had in your head. And every time you attempt to arrest or apprehend someone that looks like that person that you had the worst moment you've ever had, it seems like it's all the same. And there's no way to differentiate this person from that person in your mind. It's like you've been, it's like being Denzel. If you pay tra- all movies like Training Day all the time, you're going to be that guy. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You're just that's a you know, good point. You get in that script, and you're like, and it's just, how do I get out of it? How, how do how do I I I, I make a difference? Um, every knowing that every day is a new day, and I'm gonna see different things, approach different people, and they're all not the same. All black men that are in their 20s or their 30s, they're not the same. They're all different, and that's what we have to understand. And it's the same thing, just like all cops are different, and. Us as a community, no matter what, we justify what our community does, and police officers justify what they do, what each other does, and everybody's justifying everything. Okay, why does your kid have a rap sheet a mile long? Why does this officer have a rap sheet a mile long? We can't let the inmates run the asylum, and we have to be able to make decisions out of what's wrong, what's right, and not out of fear. Yeah, there's a police shortage. Yeah, he's been on the force 30 years. Yes, he's one of the best officers that we have, but he makes bad decisions. You can train all you want to outside of the police department. I can father all I want to my son, to my daughter, but the streets is what makes these kids, right? That's what that's what fathers these kids. And all you can do is put in them as much character, as much everything you can instill in them and let them go out there and fight with you got to give them the ammunition. And the same thing with officers. You can instill all this stuff in the academy. You can, you can do a better job in the academy. You can do a better job in training them. But they still have to go out and live it, right? And, and the only way you're going to be able to have good officers is by getting rid of the bad ones. Because the bad ones are going to train them. It's the field is what trains them, right? And it's the people out there in the field. And, and those guys, and it's normally the veterans, man. It's, those, it's not... It's not the 22-year-old cop that's doing bad things. It's the guy that's been around too, too long, probably in some cases, and he just can't get out of the funk, and every day is the same day to him. Jim is like one of those special, special people, man, that was able to kind of understand this and just in his background and could be doing what he's been doing for so long and still have the character and the, and the charisma. And I see him in these interviews. He's still, ha- he's still probably as enthusiastic now as he was 20 years ago. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? About his passion and what Here's he believes what happened, in. What happened with me is that coming on as young as I did, seeing the things I did and realizing, you know, the dead bodies or whatever, whatever the kind of calls and things that got into it. And you put a wall up because you, you're protecting your heart. You know, at this stage of life, I'm 
I'm old enough and able to admit to anybody that will listen to me is that people would say, oh, well, God, that long as a cop, you must be some crusty old guy. And I, and I went, no, it's the opposite. My heart got softer and it made me realize how and, and feel more uh, for people. I've always felt it, but I was afraid to act on that because here, you know, here I'm, I'm supposed to be the, you know, the, uh, the policeman who know, you know, knows it all and could do this and whatever. But at this stage of life, it's, it's more, oh my God, where you, where you bleed for people, you, you feel so bad for, 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 for what they're going through. And, and, it, and my negotiations training is it, they call it de-escalation, they call it whatever they want, but it's, was that that helped me realize and put me in those shoes and share of myself that would help me communicate better and get that feeling and be, and be comfortable with sharing some of my own faults with people to build that bond. That, that was an important aspect for me for doing that for, for 25 years. My thanks to Frank Gittins and Jim Fuda. If you would like to listen to part one of my interview with Frank and Jim, Google KKNW, then click on to podcasts. You will see all of the radio shows that air on KKNW. Go to the very bottom of the page and click on to Voices of Experience, and you are there. Frequent guest Stuart Elway of the Crosscut Elway Poll is with us to talk about his latest poll results. We covered three topics, COVID-19, police defunding or reform, however you want to refer to it, and the governor's race. Let's get right to it. What are Washingtonians thinking about COVID-19? We found people are taking this seriously. Uh, 66% of the people we interviewed had some personal, direct personal impact from this, uh, including, you know, uh, working from home or having their kids home or things like that. But 35% either themselves or know someone personally who have had the virus. And that seems like a large number. We Back in April when we did that, asked a similar question, that number was closer to, you know, 5%. So, so people taking this seriously. And, and as you point out, there's no hurry to reopen. We asked, uh, do you think we should reimpose restrictions or should we just put a pause on the reopening to see what develops or should we just forge ahead and open up the uh, economy and learn to live with the virus? Only 38% said we should just continue to open up and learn to live with it. Do you think the governor then has reading a room properly by what he's doing? I think he is. His marks for handling the virus were positive with the rising cases again. I mean, we started to open, we thought, oh, you know, we're past the peak. Everybody started to open up, and lo and behold, we weren't past the peak. I think uh, in general terms, he's, he's reading the room pretty well. Now, there's obvious hardships. If you're a restaurant owner, for example, this is, this is different than if you're a tech worker, you know, working at home. So it impacts people differently. And as you mentioned, uh, one of the aspects of this, which has been, it's interesting, I guess it's not even new anymore, is the is the politicalization of it. The people in the, who are Democrats and people who are Republicans have almost opposite views of a pandemic. And, and, and views about what we should do about it are predictable by party identification, which in, you know, in, in a broad 
sense, uh, that makes no sense. But it's the world that we live in today. It's a highly politicized environment. Certainly. Go back to, I believe, in the 1960s, I read something about that era and that time, that if you ask the general population that if you believe the government does the right thing most of the time, 80% of the people would say yes. I don't think we'd be even close to that right now. No, no, it's a long way from that now. And and it, it varies by party and it varies by locale. I mean, the Republicans think the federal government's doing a good job and they think the state government's doing a bad job. And Democrats are opposite because the Democrats control the state and the Republicans control the country. So it's colored by whose team is, is running the show, you, you think they're doing a good job or not. Well, let's move on to a less controversial uh, aspect of society today, and that would be policing. Yeah, yeah. I read your poll, and it is different that most people, Republican or Democrat, are supporting law enforcement. You asked the question about cutting funding by police, 50%. 73% of the people in the state said no, 17% said yes. Right. So that right. shows a pretty unified uh, front for not doing that. But then on the other side, people are favorably disposed at looking at scaling back police budgets and investing in social services. It is uh, a more nuanced uh, opinion that people have than shows up in the headlines or shows up in the you know the marches and the in the counter marches on the street people do think that uh, policing needs reform we asked a question about the killing of george floyd whether that was an isolated incident or indicative of broader problems and 57% said it it's indicative of broader problems and 55% said they mostly supported the protest that have um, taken place since the Floyd incident. So people are have the idea that there are broad systemic problems and, and are supportive of making uh, changes. On the other hand, when you ask about your own your local your own local police force, 72 percent had a positive rating of their own force, and more people than not said the police force in my neighborhood treats people of all races equally, picking and choosing between those. They, 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 they do not support defunding the police, which has got to be one of the dumbest slogans I've ever heard. Even reducing the police force by 50%, uh, as you pointed out, two-thirds or three-quarters of people are opposed to that. The door is open to having a discussion about policing and how to accomplish it. It seems to me there's a great deal of common sense going around when it comes to policing, yeah. but unlike COVID-19 where there's not. They are. And, you know, one of the things that was uh, really astounding to me is how quickly public opinion uh, gelled and switched uh, on uh, race relations and policing in the aftermath of the, the Floyd uh, killing, uh, that that uh, just in a matter of almost 48 hours, national polls and local polls started showing a complete shift on the on the kind of questions we're asking here. So uh, that really galvanized people's attention. That event and the protests following that event uh, in a way that we haven't seen. Uh, ever on an issue. I mean, uh, people look back and say, well, you know, uh, uh, gay marriage changed 
pretty quickly. But that was over a period of, of uh, you know, a year, months that it really it, it, that hit the tipping point and really switched. This was a matter of days. Very interesting. On to the governor's race. What I was surprised when I went through the voter's manual, there are 36 people running for governor. Inslee is obviously in the position to win a third term. The question is, who's going to be the nominee for the Republicans? And it seems like there's kind of a wild card that came in at the last moment. This uh, Dr. Raul Garcia, emergency room doctor from the Tri-Cities, it seems to me he's getting some really good uh, support from the traditional, let's put Republican uh, stakeholders in the state, like former Governor Evans, Sam Reed, and other people like that. Yes, and he showed up quite well in our poll relative to the other uh, Republicans who uh, have been running for a long time. He comes uh, with, as you pointed out, he's, uh, Dan Evans, Slade Gorton, Rob McKenna, uh, all the, the, you know, the, the pantheon of uh, great Republican leaders over the years um, seem to be coalescing behind him. I heard a columnist suggest that they don't really believe that anyone on the Republican side has a chance of winning. And why they want Dr. Uh, Garcia is because they don't, again, expect him to win, but he'll do a lot less damage from the top down, you know, when they have Trump leading the ticket, and then they don't want the other, what they consider the poison candidates, to pull the Republican down further. What do you think about that? I think that's mainly, yeah, clearly uh, Inslee's in a strong position. He, He, in our poll here, he got his highest job ratings that he's ever had which is 49% positive and 49% negative. Now, that doesn't sound very great, but that's the highest he's ever had. If you're going into an election with Donald Trump at the head of the ticket, who's pretty unpopular in Washington state, and then uh, an extreme right-wing person, uh, you know, or a one-issue gun control candidate or, you know, somebody like that as the number two on the ticket, it makes it very difficult for Republican candidates down the line to run. The, uh, the next one will be the first half of October. And then we'll include, we'll include your question about the uh, Seattle Kraken in that one, I'm sure. I didn't expect it, but I went from what the heck at 8 o'clock yeah. in the morning when I heard it yesterday to by noon going, I like it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I heard a lot of people did that. Yeah, we'll see how it wears on people. Yeah. That's Stuart Elway with the July 2020 Crosscut Elway Poll results. That's all the time we have for this edition to Voices of Experience. My name is Paul Casey. Thank you to Frank Gittins and Jim Fuda for sharing their perceptions on how the police and community can work closer together, and to Stuart Elway on the voters' attitudes regarding police reform, COVID-19, and the governor's race. If you have any comments on what we've been talking about, you can call the hotline at 425-653-1166. I will broadcast your comments on the air, but please keep it short. That's 425-653-1166. If you would like to listen to any previous Voices of Experience show, all you need to do is Google KKNW, then click on to podcasts. A page will appear with all of the radio shows that air on KKNW. Go to the very bottom of the page and then click on to Voices of Experience and you are there. Quote of the Week.
Ideology separates us. Dreams and anguish bring us together. Eugene Luesco. Have a great rest of the week.